Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of the Commercial Connection Podcast, where we hope to connect you with commercial real estate investments. It is so great to have you on with us. Thank you so much for joining. Our guest today is Dan Lukowitz from Encore Real Estate Investment Services. Dan is a senior a senior director over there. He specializes mostly in commercial, but has also done work in the medical office buildings, industrial fulfillment centers, and quick serve restaurant area. Uh, he has, is it decades, Dan, of experience or just a decade and a half? Uh, at this point, it's almost two. Almost two decades of, of commercial real estate experience. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is our second time around. Again, a, a returning guest. Thank you so much. Um, before we dive into this exciting topic of re, uh, retail as, as an investment option, tell us a little bit about yourself, hobbies, interests. What do you like to do on the weekends? We all know you love to work, but you can't say work. Sure. <laughs> yes. So I'm Dan Lukowitz, the senior director at Encore Real Estate Investment Services. I'm an investment sales broker. So as you alluded, I sell a lot of uh, single tenant and multi-tenant uh, buildings all over the country. I assist uh, buyers and sellers with transacting in the net lease space. Um, I'm a father of five. I live here in uh, Birmingham, Michigan. Um, in terms of hobbies, I love cars. I absolutely love cars. Growing up in the Motor City has just been something that you know has uh, enabled me to be around cars my whole life. I'm into the car scene. I love driving cars and seeing cars and all that. Um, I also love to play acoustic guitar. I've been playing guitar since I was seven. I like to snowboard when I have the opportunity. And uh, I love doing yoga. So are you into like classic cars? I'm more into, so it's, it, it's funny, you know, I, I don't know why, but about, about I've always been like a specialist. I've always, whatever I like, I like one thing. If I like music, there's usually one band I like. My favorite car, hands down, is the Dodge Viper. I am obsessed with Dodge Vipers. Um, I love all muscle cars and exotics and Ferraris and Lamborghinis. They're fun to drive. But my favorite car of all time is definitely the Dodge Viper. They stopped making the Viper a couple of years ago, didn't they? 2017 was the last year, yes. Oh, man. I heard that. So, like, I, I, I love the Viper. I think it's great. I grew up playing like uh gran turismo and the dodge viper was my favorite car you know oh a, yeah no I doubt drew, i just watched I, that movie the, uh, the other yeah. day by the way really yeah, good yeah. movie um i've driven it i've driven a viper once yeah i'm a what little year? too tall i'm a little too tall i think it was early like i think it was a 2012 okay so 12 they didn't make so they stopped making it in 11 and 12 and picked it back up in 13 then it was either it was either a 10 or a 13 it was early okay. early Nice but, man, beautiful, beautiful vehicle. Beautiful. Oh yeah, I love them. I've got. I myself have a '98. Wow, is it your daily driver? No. So this one I actually just got about ten days ago. Um, I've oh, had man. a few. I've had a few Vipers in my lifetime. Um, but this is definitely not going to be my daily driver in Michigan. Although I wish it would be. But uh, once the weather is good, I'll probably be driving it eight days a week. How fun! Well, good. Um, Dan, thank you so much for, sure. for joining us again. Okay, so now I haven't been hearing a lot like retail is dead, but I feel like there's cycles, right? Like retail's going down, Amazon's up, 
but you know, it's Chris, it's the Christmas season. I assure you in the Salt Lake city area, retail is not dead. I couldn't find a parking spot when I went to the mall. It is busier than I've, I feel like it's been busier than it's ever been. I was annoyed at how many people were in the mall. I was waiting in line. Is, is retail still a good investment? Dan, help Absolutely. us, help us see the light. Absolutely. I mean, look, let's just, you don't have to look any further than the numbers. We are sitting right now at a historic low, an 18 year low in terms of retail vacancy. So right now the retail vacancy rate nationwide is 4.8%. That means across all properties in the entire country, right? The, the best of the best and the worst of the worst, you're looking at sub 5% vacancy. That's absolutely incredible. Um, if you look at retail spending, I mean, this holiday season is going to be a record record setting season. There's been, you know, so much going on and so much talk. It's almost, I feel like it's a little bit of fear mongering about, you know, are we in a recession? Is this a recession? You know, is there going to be a soft landing, a hard landing? What's going to happen? And at the end of the day, retail has been incredibly resilient and very, very strong. So I would say, you know, especially right now, I mean, Consumer spending is very high. Uh, unemployment is at an, an you know a record record rate in terms of how low it is. So I think retail is very healthy and very strong, and I think it's going to be even stronger as we go into twenty four. As I see personally, the rebound, the economy, you know, continuing to go in the other direction, the upward direction, you know, as interest rates are likely going to be decreased. What was the vacancy rate you just said? Four point something percent. Four point eight. Four point eight. What is it normally? I mean, it ebbs and flows, you know, 18 sure. years ago, this is where it was at, but it ebbs and flows, you know, typically doesn't exceed really, you know, higher than 10%, but 4.8% yeah. is, is, you know, like I said, 18 year low, that that's very, very low. You, you said that number and I'm like, okay, I have a 25 minute drive home. I drive by a lot of office, but I also drive by a lot of retail. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I know of one area where there's kind of like a strip mall next to a mall and there's like three locations inside that strip mall of like eight or nine stores but ev you know everything is full except for like three yeah i mean that's that's right. less than 120 so if you have yeah. a shopping store with, with yeah. 20 tenants that means you might have one that's that's empty and that's to be you know un un that's understandable that's yeah. the nature of the beast so what 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 is it about retail that you particularly like in terms of investment why is it why might it be better than industrial? Why might it be better than multifamily? What's so appealing about it now in today's market? Yeah, great question. I mean, if I'm looking at an investment, right, I want to know, is there demand for this type of investment? And then everything I've just talked to you about indicates that there is a demand for this type of investment. You know, for better or worse, as a society, we've been conditioned to be a society of consumers, right? And so long as a guy like you and a guy like like myself have a dollar in our pocket, we're spending it on something. So I think the fact that you know retail is just such an in-demand asset, uh, especially necessity-based retail, right? So your supermarkets, your gas stations, your dollar stores, things that people need to use in order to just go through the day-to-day -day motions that you know 335 million people in this country, the majority of them are consuming these types of products. That to me just shows that there's demand. And if I'm an investor, I want to invest in things that are in demand. So, you know, for that reason, I, I do believe that retail is, is a great asset class. It's a strong asset class. And, um, you know, the other thing I look at is, 
if I'm owning a building, right, and that building is going to be leased out to a tenant, I want a tenant that's going to be doing as much sales volume as possible. So if retail is strong, right, and a retail tenant, like I've got a Walgreens that I listed for sale that mm -hmm. they're paying $130,200 in rent, and they're doing about $15 million in sales out of that location. That's a less than 1% rent to sales ratio, less than 1% of their sales go to paying rent. So I want that kind of tenant in my property. And for all of those reasons, that's why retail is a strong investment. And I'm going to just dive in. And, and I think I know the why you want that ratio to be as low as possible. It's because they'll renew their lease, right? Exactly, right. right. They're, they're, it makes sense for them to be there. Is Walgreens going to move? When they're going to they're give up $15 million in sales for such low rent? Probably not, right? Yeah. And I mean, I see this all the time with like fast food restaurants. If I've got a fast food restaurant that's got a six, seven, maybe 8% rent to sales ratio, very high likelihood that they're going to renew, as you mentioned. If they've got mm -hmm. a 10, 11, 12% rent to sales ratio, they're not doing well. And there's, very, there's a much lower likelihood that they're going to renew. So that's why it's so important. Um, someone like a Walgreens just to kind of put a bow on this idea, someone like a Walgreens are not going to hop the street, right? Go across the street, go down the street to save a few dollars of rent when they're doing such high volume of, of uh, business, right? Revenue. You would think that, and we're living in very interesting times in specifically <laughs> in the pharmacy space, which is its own microcosm within what mm -hmm. I do. Because I mean, you look, you've got Rite Aid filed for bankruptcy. Last week, Walgreens credit was downgraded to junk status. So there's a lot of pain going on in that space right now. We are seeing actually a lot of Walgreens that are closing. I have this at two locations within 15 miles in either direction of my home where Walgreens had a corner location, main on main, that they're closing and, and they're going mid-block, 1,000 feet, 800 feet down the way, and they're opening what they call their Cooper concept, which is a roughly 2,500 square foot smaller facility in, you know, in contradistinction to their typical 15,000 square foot or so, you know, main on main uh, prototype. And that's yeah. a high emphasis on the drive-through and on pharmaceuticals, as well as their top 100 or 200 products. So that's a whole change and shift within that industry. But for the pharmacy space in general, they've been paying rents that were far too high in spaces that were far too big for far too long. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to pick your brain about due diligence. Now there's, sure. there's a couple types of retail, right? We have the strip mall, we have like out parcel to a mall. We have a mall. We have a retail, like like a dollar store in the middle of small town USA. Yeah. Right. So now I know. So basically, there's a lot of different subtypes, subgenres of retail. But kind of walk us through some of the due diligence you look at when you look at kind of the main classes. Maybe a mall maybe a strip mall, maybe just a, a, a generic single, single tenant at least. Yeah. What are, you yeah looking for? what are you, what are you helping your client understand? What, what's, what are kind of the need to knows when, when you're, when you're showing a client a, a potential investment? Yeah, that's a great question. So it does vary slightly based on the asset type. So if you look at your single tenant, absolute triple net lease. So that's a property where the landlord has no responsibilities whatsoever, except a collect the rent check or a rent payment. Uh -huh. You know, the tenant is responsible for taxes, insurance, common area, maintenance, parking, roof, structure, everything. 
So on those deals, you know, your due diligence is going to involve lease analysis to make sure that everything that you think you're getting is what you're getting. You might want to do some digging into the actual guarantor that's on the lease. Like, you know, is it a sub entity of the larger corporation? If so, how many locations are in that entity? You know, in terms of a physical inspection, I think it's important. It's not that expensive. And it'll show you if the tenant has had any deferred maintenance. Good news is if they do have deferred maintenance, either the current owner or you when you take possession are going to be able to send a letter saying, hey, you're in default of your lease, fix these issues, yeah. right? If you move on to certain things like, you know, a double net property where it's going to have landlord responsible for roof structure and maybe parking, the inspection, everything else I said applies, but now the inspection is all the more important because that's your responsibility. If you kind of transition over to the uh, shopping center, right, the shopping center is going to have the physical inspection component because, you know, without exclusion, pretty much the uh, shopping center uh, maintenance is going to be the responsibility of the landlord, uh, although he's he or she is likely charging that back to the tenants. So you're going to want to know if there's any issues that you should be aware of, maybe some negotiation points if you're going to ask the seller for a reduction based on deferred maintenance. Um, you're obviously going to look at all of the leases. You're going to want to look at the last three years of the tax returns and profit and loss statements to verify that the expenses are accurate. You're going to want to know if the expenses have been reconciled and if the tenants have been uh, told that they have to pay now, you know, an increase in their common area maintenance charges to account for, you know, that uh, increase in maintenance costs, for example. Um, you're also, in any of these cases, um, probably going to want to look at the previous phase one and or phase two environmental studies that were done on the property. Uh, and all likelihood, if you have a lender involved, they're going to want a phase one uh, done or updated. If the phase one comes back with any issues, they're going to want a phase two that's done. Um, depending on the state the property is in, there's different nuances each state has. Uh, some states actually are very, very landlord friendly and will take on liability for the new owner uh, under certain circumstances. Um, you're going to want to look at doing an ALTA survey, especially if there's a lender involved. They may want a mortgage survey, which is a lower level. You may or may not want the ALTA survey. That's really up to you. Um, and you're just going to want to make sure that all the documents that you're looking at present the same picture that you had when you went into, uh, you know, when you went under contract with the property. Um, so I'd say like in general, those overall are going to be the, the main things to keep in mind. And, you know, as a broker, my job is to coordinate all of these things at the same time so that they're, you know, I'm juggling behind the scenes so that the investors on both sides of the transaction, you know, don't have to sweat uh, making sure that all these things take place. Wow. That's a lot. That can seem like a lot. It can. It can seem like a lot. Just, I think ask if you, if you see something, then ask a question, right? Yeah. If there's right. something that your buyer doesn't understand, then ask, right? Why is Absolutely. this? Why is this? Why is that? Right? Yeah. Don't be so overwhelmed. Right. There's people here that can help. Yeah, um, that's right. So you mentioned a little, you mentioned a little bit about a triple net lease, double net lease. Are you seeing an uptick in, in triple net leases or double net leases? Are, are, you know, I, I, I'm always confused. Okay. Why would a landlord ever sign a double net lease over a triple net lease? And why would a tenant ever sign a triple net lease over a double net lease? Yeah. Great question. So first of all, the first part of your question it's very hard to answer because the last 18 months in our industry, we've definitely seen a huge drop in transactional volume. Um, you know, thankfully for myself and my team, this has been a great year, but, you know, unfortunately not, you know, the, the vast majority of the brokerage community cannot say the same. So it's hard to say if there's been an uptick in, in interest in triple net, just because there's been a huge downtick 
in overall volume. So it's very hard to make that comparison. Um, you bring up a great question that, you know, I think very few people think of, you know, why would a landlord sign a double net lease? Why would a tenant sign a triple net lease? The answer to the first question is that some tenants, that is their policy. They just, you know, Dollar General, for example, the vast majority of their leases are double net. Um, most pharmacy leases are double net. However, they do sign some triple net leases. Um, so it's all subject to negotiation. And, you know, some tenants, you know, in the quick service restaurant uh, space, for example, unheard of to have anything other than an absolute triple net lease. So it's really, you know, kind of following industry standards. And, uh, you know, I will say it is a little bit subject to negotiation because some tenants, like I said, some of the pharmacy tenants, some of the dollar store tenants, they do make exclusions and deviations from their, their typical double net structure. But obviously as a landlord, you're going to push as hard as possible for that triple net lease. Um, yeah, last 18 months, I think everyone in the brokerage world including us have, have seen a downtick yeah in volume right yep what okay so i guess i don't know if it's official but the feds someone said the feds are cutting interest rates several times next year i don't know how true that is but the stock market shot up when that was announced interest rates are um steadily slowly going down it's it seems like what what do you kind of see the maybe the next 18 months in 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 retail yeah so you know we never really know until it's until jerome powell gets up there and tells us what happens but yeah definitely the last two meetings with the pauses have been have been helpful to the markets. I mean, the 10 year treasury was hovering at almost 5%, which was like mm -hmm. mind boggling. Now it's at like, you know, three, nine, six, roughly. So, you know, that's a huge swing. Um, I mean, the word on the street is that there's going to be at least three rate cuts next year um, of approximately 75 basis points total. Mm -hmm. I think that's just going to be the rocket fuel that this economy needs. I think that the economy has been incredibly robust stock market's been incredibly robust. And yeah. quite frankly, the net lease sector has been incredibly robust. Because keep in mind, in 17 or 18 months, we had about 550 basis points of increase in the federal funds rate. And most of the little sub-asset classes within net lease went up 50, 75, maybe 100 basis points. So 550 basis points swing in the federal funds rate, 50, 75, 100 basis point increase in the cap rates. So I think that next year when we see these rates start to come back down to earth, you know, it's all relative, obviously, but come back <laughs> down to closer to where they were the last 10 years. And I think that all these sectors are going to fly. I mean, I don't, I, to me, it's incredible. I think we're going to see the Dow trading over 40,000, you know, once rates come down, yeah. uh, which is amazing. And I'm excited for that. And I think we're going to see, you know, transactional volume go back up. But I just, I think that it's a testament to the strength of the American economy uh, just to see what's going on, despite like the, the Fed pulling every lever they can to slow things down. Yeah. Um, let's just kind of end on this uh, thought here. All things being equal. Now, I know that's a ridiculous notion, but all things being equal, someone's looking at a multifamily, someone's looking at maybe industrial, maybe land, vacant land, right? And maybe retail. Why should they be looking at retail instead of maybe other asset classes? Yeah, so I mean, listen, land has potential tremendous uh -huh. upside, right? Because you can uh -huh. take something, entitle it, develop it, make a lot of money. That's a lot of work, a lot of steps, a lot of activity, a lot of hands-on, right? Yeah. However, land doesn't cash flow unless yeah. you're farming it or have a use for it, right? And even land then, got, and even then it doesn't really cash flow. 
Right. It neg but if it's laying fallow, it negatively cash yeah. flows with 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 taxes. Yeah. Right. So that's why I would strike that one off. Multifamily to me, I mean, I get it. Everybody needs a place to live. I don't like the variability as a net lease broker and seeing things in black and white, what it's going to be every single year. I don't like the variability of not knowing what my occupancy is, not knowing what my costs are, are you know, are our construction costs going to go up? Is there going to be an eviction moratorium? Is there going to be some type of rent control? All these unknowns for me. Okay. Industrial, I think is a great asset class. You know, there's been a huge industrial boom, but it seems like right now we, we've, we've hit that top and things have started to come down. Retail, I just see that's something that's necessary and essential, and people are using rain, shine, pandemic, no pandemic, whatever the situation is, people are purchasing. And, you know, these tenants that are doing incredible sales volume, you know, and paying relatively low rent for that, to me, that just seems like a very solid, solid play. Yeah. Dan, what else do you want to share with us? What 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 other What other insights do you want to give us here? Yeah, I mean, I just I just feel like, you know, I want to make it, you know, so obvious to people that, you know, your financial destiny is in your own hands. Yeah. You know, to, we live in, in an era where there is no pension. There's nobody looking out for you that's going to amass, you know, you just have to clock in at work and everything's going to be fine because there'll be this pension at the end. Those days are gone. And I mean, I'll, I'll share one of the most liberating experiences for me recently is that, you know, I... Uh, was able to convert over. So I have a SEP IRA because I'm self self employed, and so for anyone who doesn't know, I essentially you know uh, take dollars you know at the end of the year and put them into an IRA account. I don't have to pay taxes on that right now. It's tax deferred. I will be taxed yeah. one day, yeah. and I don't you know stocks are exciting and all that, but I I like control, right? I like knowing that things are going in the direction I want them to. So for me, having money in the stock market was always like anxiety provoking. So what I did was I actually converted my SEP IRA at my normal brokerage uh, house over to uh, Equity Trust, which is a self-directed IRA, and I invested into a real estate deal. I invested mm -hmm. into a joint venture with some friends where we're lending out of my SEP IRA to a, a build to suit for Starbucks at a mm -hmm. very low loan to value. So I have, it's not guaranteed income, but for me, it's relatively guaranteed income at a fixed rate with high security. Uh, and, and just a solid deal. So that's just one example, you know, me, you know, taking some of my financial freedom into my own hands to do what I think is best. So I guess I just want to encourage everyone to take that leap to whatever it is, investing in net lease, investing in multifamily, you know, investing with your, your self-directed IRA, whatever it is, there's so many opportunities today to make it yourself. And if you don't take them, the only person at fault, it's not your employer, it's going to be you. So the buck really stops with you today. And I just encourage people to take that leap of faith. And if there's anything I can do to help in that journey, I would love to. Dan, do you work cross state lines, across the country? All over the country. That's right. If, if someone would like to get a hold of you, how can they best reach you? Yeah. So first I'm active on LinkedIn. That's how we met. Yeah. Um, I, I post content just about every day. So please follow me there. You can reach out and send a DM. My first name is Dan, last name Lukowitz, L-E-W. K-O-W-I-C-Z, again, L-E-W-K-O-W-I-C-Z. Uh, alternatively, if you have a property, you want to know what it's worth, if you have a deal that you want to look at, uh, even if it's not my deal, it's your own deal, you want an extra set of eyes, or you just want to talk about real estate, or you know need someone to bounce some ideas off of, I'll give you my cell phone number. It's 248-943-2838. Again, 248-943-2838. If there's anything I can do to add value, please reach out. I would love to connect. 
uh, get to know you better and and find out ways where where I can uh, provide value. Thank you, Dan, very much. We wish you a happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'll always love it. And and to all of our guests, thank you so much. If you feel like uh, someone you know would is in need of this episode, please, please share it. We would love if you would share it. Would love a five-star review if you feel like uh, we merit that. And until next time, have a good day.